Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Props to Crazy with Steph and Michelle. Two friends, two diagnoses, and more crazy than they know what to do with. So sit back and enjoy, and don't forget to like and subscribe. everyone for listening don't forget to like and subscribe and then also we would love to get some feedback from everyone whether it's good or bad we would love to hear comments from you on whether you're liking the podcast if you'd like something different something more or if you just want to tell us how cool we are How's it going? Oh my gosh, it's going so good. Good. So glad to talk to you. Good. That makes me happy. Yeah. So we're adding our segment today. I think we'd mentioned it before. We're doing the props to my crazy, where either Michelle or I will share a story of something that's just kind of laughable that happened that is like a trigger or just like it's funny to us because of our disorders and what we go through. So Michelle's going to share hers for this week's episode of props to my crazy. <laughs> right. So it's funny now. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah. So I'll set the stage. I was probably 19, maybe 20 years old. And I was just barely married. And my ex-husband and I, now ex-husband, we were living in this apartment complex and there were hundreds of apartments and you were assigned a designated under like covered parking spot, but Mm -hmm. then you had to find a different spot. Well, he worked nights. So by the time he got home at night, there wasn't a spot. So usually we would park my car in an open spot that would be close by. And then I would he would park his spot in the covered spot. Well, I would sometimes be at work with him and we would drive home together just because we had worked a similar shift. And so we would drive together and we got home one time and someone had parked in our covered parking spot. I was so mad. Mind you, I hadn't had any medication I wasn't taking any medication at this point. (laughs) I got so mad. I was just like, oh, why do these people do this? So then it happened again. And it was like two in the morning and I was tired and I was probably hangry. But oh my gosh, I flipped a lid and I was stomping up and down the parking lot, screaming at the top of my lungs. (laughs) just yelling because I was so mad because someone had parked in my spot and we couldn't get a hold of the tow company to tow them. We had to park a mile away and I had to walk there 
But I'm walking up and down and I'm screaming and my ex-husband's like, um, honey, maybe you should come inside. (laughs) (laughs) So I go inside and I'm still mad. So I'm like screaming at the top of my lungs in an apartment complex and throwing pillows at the wall and I'm like punching and it's like, I am just out of control. (laughs) And... I look back on that experience and I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> right? How was that such a, you know, why did I get so aggressive over something like that? But it's just kind of funny in the sense of my ex-husband is lucky he lived through it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going to say. <laughs> And, um, in fact, he and I joke sometimes, I'm like, well, at least I'm not one of those crazy ex-wives. And he's like, mm, that's debatable. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. Thinking about <laughs> times like that. <laughs> oh, it's ridiculous. Well, props to you. Thank you. <laughs> well, Okay. So now we're going to continue, and with this episode, we are just going to let you know what it was like on our journeys to discovering how crazy we actually are, just right. how we were diagnosed, what the process was, and just the differences between mine and Michelle's experiences. Yes. Michelle's going to tell her story first. It all started when I was born. (laughs) (laughs) Starting before I was born. No. Um, The first time I was red flagged, if you will, was first grade. I had a teacher who suggested that I get on some medicine because I was ADHD. ADD, whatever you want to, I was hyperactive as well, besides just not on task. So I got on some medicine in first grade. I hated it immediately. Um, And my parents took me off of it, which was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) But then they tried some different things, like they did a Coke a day diet, where if they gave me a Coke, then it would zing me up and then it would calm me down. And that's supposed to be true for caffeine. That's why a lot of people, um, if they're ADHD, coffee works differently for them. It's more of, yeah, it zings me up for a little bit, but it's more of a downer for me. I could, I'd rather drink coffee at night rather than in the morning, because if I do it in the morning, then halfway through the day, I'm like, I can't even function. It's time for bed. So it's just, they tried that. They tried keeping sugar out of my diet. They tried to put me into counseling. They really just did everything that they could. And by the time I was middle school and finally eventually into high school, I knew I was different. But I didn't know why. 
and they they said that I was at that point I think 14 is when they first diagnosed me with depression and anxiety and I started getting on medicine for that as well as continued with counseling and I continued with that all throughout my high school years and then when I turned 18 and I moved out of the house, I got off of my meds, mainly because I wasn't on my parents' insurance anymore. I couldn't afford the medicine or the doctor bills to go and get, you know, the prescriptions written. Mm-hmm. So I just didn't take my medicine. And then I thought I was fine. <laughs> uh, but what triggered me to have to get back on my medicine was actually at the age of 22 I had a miscarriage and I went crazy (laughs) is the best way to describe it I went into a really bad depression but there was also I don't know I I don't know if it was psychosis I it was mania like there was just it was just not a good time. Mm-hmm. I ended up getting fired from a job because of it. It was just, but then I was able to get on some medicine that was really good for me. And I, it was an antidepressant. Um, then they tried to get me on some anti-anxiety meds and that wound me up in the hospital with a suicide attempt. Mm. Um, and later my doctor said, you cannot take any medicine within that drug classification because it will send you suicidal. So I cannot take like Xanax or Clonopin or anything like that, that normal people can take to chill them out because it sends me off the deep end. And um, of course, like, I kind of believed him, but didn't believe him. <laughs> I had to figure it out on my own, right? Yeah. Um, but then after my suicide attempt at 26, I did some really good counseling. It was called Neuro Linguistics Programming. And it's been said that that can actually help people who have addictions or who have struggled in other ways, especially people those that my counselor actually worked with people that were in jail and prison, helping them kind of change their life. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, after having done that counseling, I can truly say that those feelings of suicide have not come back as strong. And I really have never experienced that since. And how many years? So I was probably 26, 27 and I'm 34. So seven. That's amazing. Yeah. And almost to the point where, yes, I've thought about like, um, killing myself but there's a difference between being suicidal and thinking about killing yourself Mm -hmm. um when I'm suicidal it's what am I going to do versus 
when I want to kill myself, it's like, my life is so terrible. I want to kill myself, Mm -hmm. but it's not the same extreme. And I've not felt that extreme. And I've seen friends feel that extreme. And it's almost to the point where I don't know what to do for them because it seems so foreign to me now, which has been interesting because that's helped me be on the other side of it as well. Understanding my family's perspective, like, okay, that's probably what they experienced. (laughs) Um, but then at the age of 29, I ended up, well, I had a doctor that had been my doctor since I was 14 and he retired and I had to change doctors and the new doctor gently (laughs) got me into this idea that I might be bipolar and mainly by putting me on medicine that was for people that are bipolar (laughs) and just explaining how it works. Um, you know, it was a mood stabilizer versus an anti-anxiety and it worked amazingly almost to the point where I was like, all right, well, I'm bipolar. That's great. (laughs) That's funny. And it, it is funny because I've had so many people since then say to me, really? You're bipolar? I would never have known. And, it, and I'm constantly just like, it's because I'm well medicated. <laughs> right? That's our joke all the time. We're like, it's crazy, but medicated. No worries. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's for everyone. And I'm not saying that like, medication is going to be for my entire life. I would eventually like to be able to get off of it. But for me, for now, with what I know and my coping skills and how I work in my life, I have to take my medicine Mm -hmm. Um, or I'm not functional. And that's just the truth for me. Right. So that's kind of the roller coaster of, things that I've experienced through my life with (laughs) knowing but not knowing and not really understanding myself and it's been interesting because for me it was it was like a relief to finally know it was like oh okay so I'm bipolar Mm -hmm. well all right. That makes sense. Yeah. Oh yeah. That, oh yeah. (laughs) So for me, it was just like this revelation in such a good way, um, that it's really positively influenced my life. Um, I've done some other types of things I've done. I've gone to AA and Al-Anon which are addiction programs and I've loved them as well because the thing I love about them is they teach responsibility on your part. It's never about blaming the other person. It's always about accepting responsibility for your portion, but then also about learning to set boundaries. And that was a big deal that I didn't even understand that first of all, I could set my own Mm. and that people could like, like that they had to abide by him (laughs) and if they didn't and I was allowing it that was on me Mm. that was huge and so 
that's helped me in my recovery. Also, I've had a life coach that has been huge, huge in helping me. Um, so I wouldn't say that medication is my only reason that I'm good. Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of work in my life yep. uh, to be where I'm at. That's why we're doing this is it's just like telling our journey of like, yeah, we always knew because I as well, I always knew something was off or something was wrong. And it's interesting to look back now and see how far we've come. And Mm -hmm. honestly, we're kind of sharing this too, because it shows how complex it is to, um, first of all, figure out what is going on. If Mm -hmm. you really are needing to be diagnosed with something, if you have an actual disorder or illness or condition or whatever you want to call it versus those rough teenage years, you know, hormonal outburst. And really quick, before I get into mine, I just wanted to add, there's a reason why Michelle just kept saying medicine and not specific prescriptions and different things that she takes or was taking, because we had decided that we don't want to suggest anything for anybody. We don't want anybody who's listening to this being like, oh, they take this and it helped them. And I think I have the same symptoms. So I'm going to ask my doctor for that. So we're specifically omitting the the names of the drugs that we're on. Exactly. And, um, and the Steph and I have even discussed just the difference between, (laughs) we think that we're so similar in our heads and yet the medicine she takes, I'm like, Oh, hell no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Isn't that so true? So it's, that's why it's like, you really have to talk to your doctor about it and get specific with them. And I think one of the things that you and I have learned the most through this process is just about how important it really is to discuss all of the symptoms with your doctor, not just like, it's scary to say things like, Oh yeah, I'm crazy. Like, I don't want to tell you what I did because it's embarrassing Yes, what I did but you really have to tell your doctor what you've done so that they can help properly diagnose you. Because when I was taking the wrong medicine, it wasn't working right with my brain. Mm -hmm. Well, and the other thing too, is when you have different symptoms, whether you have different diagnoses or different disorders, sometimes even within the same disorder, it takes more than one medication. Yes. If you don't tell them everything and you're only telling them certain symptoms, they're going to give you something that only treats those symptoms but then what about the other things that you're struggling with sometimes all you need is an antidepressant but sometimes you don't um so we just want to shed some light on how complicated it is to actually get diagnosed because I think some people have this idea that like okay so you know you're bipolar and there's a pill for that so go see your doctor get that pill and then you're fine you're good to go right it's just you know that's not how it works but if you're not in it if that's not something you've experienced, then obviously you're not going to understand that. So we don't expect people to know. So Steph, tell me about your diagnosis. <laughs> okay. So this is my journey with being diagnosed first with general depression. Then later on, I got diagnosed as bipolar and then later on diagnosed as borderline personality disorder. Um, I had a few things that happened in my childhood that I'm sure contribute 
besides just being hereditary or genetic. My parents got divorced when I was young and my mom got remarried pretty shortly after. It was like a year after the divorce she was remarried. And then the big thing that happened though that set things off was when I was 13 we had moved towns. And usually with BPD, even though you have the characteristics and the traits, it doesn't really come out or there's a catalyst, if you will, that happens that actually brings out the disorder. And it usually happens in adolescence or early 20s. Mm. Uh, So something happens, some sort of crisis, and then boom, you're showing all these signs and these symptoms, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So when I was 13 and we moved... It was really hard for me just because there's so many things. One of them is because I'm the youngest of seven kids. And when we moved, I was the only one that moved with my parents because my brother that was just older than me, he was in his senior year of high school and he stayed behind so he could graduate with his class and his friends. So for me, that was really difficult. And so I started out just feeling really depressed And I figured it was normal because my whole life was upside down. You know, I lost all of my friends. I lost everything familiar to me. I loved the town that I had grown up in. Everybody knew me. Everybody knew my family. We had lived there for years and years and years. And now I'm starting over. And it was in the middle of junior high, which let's be honest, that's a really crappy time for anybody regardless (laughs) of what's going on. True. Right? But it was frustrating because depression didn't go away. Like it just stayed and it stayed and it stayed. And I just thought that it was like, well, once I adjust and once I get used to everything, then it'll be gone. Because I had never experienced depression before. And it obviously had started at this specific point in time. So that's how things started out for me is just time went on and on and on. And I just kept thinking it's going to get better at some point. And unlike Michelle, my parents weren't super involved in it, not nearly as much anyway. Um, My stepdad understood because he had his own, he was manic depressive, but my mom is not an emotional person, like by any means. I mean, I kind of compare her to a robot. She really just is not an emotional person. So her and I, like, she just does not get me. She was never anybody I could go to for stuff like that. So I think it was more my stepdad that was pushing me to go into counseling and stuff because he was seeing a counselor. He related to a lot of things. He just saw a lot in me that kind of signaled to him like, yeah, there's something more going on, but I was scared and I didn't want to tell people what my problem was or what I was thinking or how I was feeling. I was just very, very private. So I started counseling in high school and they did give me a couple different medications to try But the medication didn't really work. And it could be that I didn't give it long enough because some medication takes longer than others to get into your system and be effective. And it could be that they just weren't the right ones for me. And the counselor that I was seeing, I didn't like her. So I quit counseling. If you don't have a connection with your counselor, then that's just kind of not really going to go anywhere. Yeah. And so all throughout high school, I was just dealing with depression, thinking that that was my thing and just kind of suffering through it alone. Honestly, I didn't know <laughs> even my, my siblings about it because I knew that I was different from them. I felt that I was different and I had pretty much my whole life and I wasn't going to share this because I didn't want to be different. You know, I wanted to be the same. I wanted to be like everybody else. I wanted to be normal. And if I said anything, then they would all of a sudden, Ooh, everybody knows 
Steph's depressed. She's different. She's not like us. Mm -mm. And so it wasn't until I was 23 and it was right after I got married, my poor first husband, I went, I was starting to see a doctor to see what was going on because my symptoms were so severe. And at this point it had been 10 years since my depression started. I had seen other counselors since the one I didn't like. Mm -hmm. And I'd found one that I liked and I worked with her for a year. And I remember I ended treatment with her because I came into her office and she was just basically like, I don't know what to do for you because you are a perfect patient. You know, you do all of your homework. You do all of the assignments that I give you. You follow up. You're following every plan that we set down. She's like, but you're still depressed. And I don't understand. She's like, you're not really progressing. Mm -hmm. And I was devastated because I had trusted her with everything. I had opened up to her in ways I had not opened up to anybody in my whole life. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is not going to go away. This is permanent. This is not just, I was really sad after I moved and eventually I'm going to get settled and feel better. Like I had thought, I thought if I found the right pill, the right counselor, the right environment that I could, you know, phase out of it, so to speak. And now I was like, that's not going to happen. Like I'm stuck with this. I have this. And so when I was 23 and I had just gotten married, things were so bad. I went and saw another doctor and they had put me on some medication because he diagnosed me with bipolar disorder. For me, that diagnosis was a little bit of a relief because then it was like, okay, so now it makes sense that my other medications didn't work. And now it makes sense that my therapist told me that she couldn't really help me or didn't know what to do because my depression wasn't getting any better. And it was because, okay, because this is more than just, right. And it's more complicated. I need other stuff. So that, that, um, diagnosis was actually good for me. Um, but even with the medication they gave me, it helped with some stuff, but I still was having severe symptoms, but also stuck in a place where I still wasn't opening up to people. I still wasn't talking to people because at this point in time, that was also 10 years ago. Nobody talked about this stuff. You know, it was still hush hush. And especially my family, it wasn't something we ever talked about. And I didn't know how to start that conversation with people, even if I did want to talk about it which I didn't at the time. So then fast forward a little bit. So from 23 diagnosed to bipolar. And then when I was 28, I, things had actually gotten so bad that I voluntarily checked myself into a hospital. Um, my ex-husband and I had divorced since this time and I was struggling as a single mom my daughter was really young and my symptoms were just so bad that I got to a point where I was, I called my doctor and I was like, I just need preventative measures. Is there somewhere that I can go that I can learn the skills or just take myself out of this situation so that I don't harm myself and I don't harm my daughter? Like I can't even take care of myself right now in this moment. Where can I go? What can I do? I had never asked for help before. And he was like, well, if you were in my office right now, he's like, I would send you to the mental hospital, the psych ward. And, and we were pretty good friends. So we talked about it for a minute. I was like, okay, fine. I'll do it. Like I'll admit myself. And when I was there at the hospital at that time, 
they diagnosed me with borderline personality disorder. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, so I don't have bipolar disorder. I just have borderline personality disorder. He's like, no, you have both. You're bipolar and you have borderline personality disorder. And I was so upset, <laughs> so mad. And in fact, I distinctly remember he stopped and looked at me. He's like, you seem really um, mad right now. I was like, I am. Because the older I get, I feel like the crazier I'm getting. And the way I describe it to people is if you can imagine a target, like a bullseye, and in the very center is like, you're healthy, you're good, you're normal, no mental disorder. And then the next string for me was depression. I'm like, okay, so I'm a little, not quite normal, but I'm not too far out there. And then the next string was when they diagnosed me with bipolar disorder. And now we're another ring out and they're diagnosing me with borderline personality disorder. And so I looked at him and I was like, I just keep getting crazier. Like, you know, what are you guys going to diagnose me with in five years? (laughs) And where does it stop? And for me, it felt more and more permanent. Because remember, I first thought that this was just something I could deal with and get through. And now it's like, it is this lifelong thing. And I had never heard of borderline personality disorder. And so after that diagnosis, when I started researching it and looking it up, I was mortified. I'm like, no, nope, nope, nope. This is not me. I don't want to be this person. All the characteristics and all the traits on there, I was just like... Then I was really embarrassed and I didn't want to tell anybody about it. And it made sense. It really did. Like I clicked with everything on that list. I was like, okay, that explains so much. But it made me even more embarrassed and it kind of made me pull back a little as far as trying to be open or or talk about my mental health in any way. Right. And it wasn't until a year later um, when I was 29, I had a suicide attempt and I ended up back in that same hospital. And then I started really treating the borderline personality disorder. Um, cause before I didn't really know what my treatment options were. And this is my own fault. This is not because I didn't have doctors or people there that were willing to support me. It was me not <clears throat> being able to accept it and right. pursue the need and the, the help that I needed. Um, so the second time when I was hospitalized, we did some specific counseling. I actually got into DBT, which is dialectical behavioral therapy, and it's specifically for borderline personality disorder. Um, I started that in the hospital. It's a form of group therapy. And then I was able to continue after I was released from the hospital, but because of the insurance that I had, I was only able to do it for three months. And I've since learned that for it to be really effective, they recommend one to two years of DBT, which is counseling individually as well as group counseling once a week. So you're going to counseling twice a week for a year to two years. And so when I learned that, I was like, man, it would be nice to get that full year in because even just the three months that I had was life changing for me. It just gave me so much understanding. It's been four years now since that happened. And I feel like I have a pretty good handle on things. I mean, I do struggle a lot, but people that I talk to who understand any kind of mental disorder, or when I share with them, doctors, therapists that I've gone to, 
all of them have always been like, you are really self-aware. And there's a lot of things I've been able to do that are just kind of like, how can you do that? How are you able to do that if you have borderline personality disorder? (laughs) And I'm just like, I don't know. (laughs) I had a client that I was working on recently and it just made me feel so good because we were talking and now I'm open with everybody. I talk to everybody about what I have and what it is just because I spent my whole life hiding and it was hell and it was horrible. And I, I don't want people to live that way because you just shouldn't and don't need to. So I was opening up to her and telling her what I had and she just stopped and she was like, wait, you have borderline personality disorder. It's like, "Uh uh-huh. She's like, how are you able to have your own business as an therapist (laughs) if you have BPD? She goes, because I know people with borderline personality disorder and all the people I know who have it can't even hold a job down. It made me feel so good because that is one of my biggest struggles is being consistent with work. I've never had a single job for more than two years except for massage. I've been doing massage for five years now, but I've been in different offices throughout that time. And so for her to say that to me, I was just like, oh my gosh, I really am doing well. I'm really doing a good job. And that was awesome for me. Um, So it's taken a long time, but, and I was really, really angry at first, but since then the last four years, I'm actually really grateful that I did find out. And I'm grateful that I was able to do the research and I'm at a place now where Michelle and I are doing this thing where we're just, we're accepting it, we're owning it and now we're trying to turn around and help other people get to the same place because it is really hard. First of all, for me admitting I had a problem, even just opening up to my parents was really, really hard. And so just this getting diagnosed and getting treated is just so much more complicated than I think people imagine it being. Yeah. And I would say probably, you know, one of the things that, is the most important is to go to a doctor and get the right diagnosis. So if you're questioning whether you are bipolar or borderline or just depressed or OCD, right? Don't question it. Go to the doctor and talk to them about it. And don't think that it makes you any less of a person. And you know, I've found that my life has become so much easier by di- by having a label on as, you know, on my diagnosis. Yes. Because at first it was really embarrassing and shameful, at least yeah. for me. And I imagine most people are that way, but I had to change that thinking. And instead of it just being like, you are this as like a negative thing and more towards like, okay, so this is something I struggle with and there's help for this because there are scientific studies and experiments and doctors and people in the medical field who've been working on bipolar, quote unquote, for years. So now it gives you direction and it gives you hope and a way to live a healthy, happy, normal life as much as possible with the help of medication. So I had to change that thinking. Um... And now I'm just grateful all the time. I'm like, I love modern medicine and I'm so grateful for it. And I look back on the time in my life before I had the proper medication. And even four years ago, after I was hospitalized for my attempted suicide, 
they changed my medication again. And ever since then, it's been so much better. Like I said, I still have ups and downs. I still have really bad episodes, but I don't know how I survived before I was diagnosed with the borderline personality disorder. And my best prescription that I have, if I could say like the thing that helps me the most is my mood stabilizer. Before that, my life was a mess. I don't know how I made it through college. I don't know how I got married and had a child. I really don't know how I was able to function at all (laughs) because my mind was just so dysfunctional. Right. I'm like, I don't know how I did it. And now I'm, and I've tried before to get off my medication because I'm like, Michelle, I hope I don't have to, to take medication for the rest of my life. Um, but I'm okay if I have to, cause I'm grateful it's there. I've tried to go without before and it works okay for a little while, but in the end it is something that I need and I'm grateful that I have it, you know? Yeah. Thank you for <laughs> giving your side of the story. <laughs> course I'm always willing to talk about my crazy and hopefully you guys found it entertaining and um, enlightening today because that's really our goal is to help people understand mental illness a little bit more yep as much as you can understand it right that's right (laughs) (laughs) We will see you next time or talk to you or you can listen to us. Thanks for listening to this episode of Props to Crazy. If you have any questions or comments or you want a specific topic discussed, please send an email to props to Michelle at gmail.com or props to Steph at gmail.com. That's two like the number. Please like and share this episode to help us stop the stigma and start the conversation.